This is the beginning of the end. We'll learn from him. And what Jesus is always interested in doing is teaching his disciples how to do what he does in various ways. It's not just information, it's transformation. It's not something that's just learned, it's caught. And so he had his disciples, he showed them what he was doing. And so we'll see how he slayed the dragon and how it is our honor to actually take up that battle with him. That there is still more to fight as a result of this. And so here is the book of Revelation. John, in the first chapter, introduces it by saying (coughs) that he was given a vision. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ, it says, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Made known this by sending an angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word by God. The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then it transitions toward John in verse 10, chapter 1, the beginning of the book. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Few places in all of Scripture where you see the phrase, the Lord's day. In the first century church, we know the Lord's day was the first day of the week. The Lord's day was Sunday, not Saturday. Because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And conquered everything. And as being Lord of everything, he had a day to commemorate his everything dominion. We call it the Lord's Day. Remember, as we go into this, this whole book was given to him on the Lord's Day. In chapter 5, it says this, When I, then I saw in the right hand of him, who was seated on a throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll, and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom 
and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked, and behold, around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Here is the vision that, G- that John is given, taken into the throne room of heaven. And it is a vision of worship. Worship. It is a vision of a song. It is a vision of creatures, elders, crowns, thrones. It is the throne room of God in which you find this figure. This <coughs> ancient of days seated on a throne. If you remember, and if you've been here at the church long enough, you know that there is light that comes through this window behind me. And it is bright and it casts a shadow. And from my vantage, I see a cross. Various dispersed on the chairs depending the time of the day I see a shadow of the cross though I don't see the cross that is our life that is why we sing see a hundred years ago the saints for many hundreds of years have been singing shadows singing of shadows the king of Israel David was promised he was promised that his kingdom would be established forever in 1 Chronicles 17. That he would have a throne that would never end. And that he, his son, David's actual son, would be the son of God. It's more than a hymnal, these 150 psalms. It's not less than a hymnal, but it's more than a hymnal. Compiled after the time of when Israel was first taken away by Babylon... All 150 put together in a perfect order and organized for a reason. The first two psalms, the first one is the psalm of a blessed man. How blessed is the man who meditates on God's law day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of living water, yielding its fruit in season and out. How blessed is the man who does not take counsel. How blessed the man does not stand with sinners. How blessed the man does not sit with scoffers. The whole manner of his life, he is meditating on the word there, Torah. Instruction. Meaning the first five books of the Bible. The Torah. And then Psalms breaks out into five books. This Psalm book we have. It is a singing Torah. It is a singing instruction. It is the word of God set to meter. 
And to introduce the whole book of Psalms, you have Psalm 1 about a blessed man, and then you transition to Psalm 2 about the Son of God who will conquer the world. And that introduction, the first two Psalms, lay out the whole book of Psalms. That it is all about this. And the Psalms were written by David and others and compiled after the prophecy where David's son would have a throne and dominion that would never end. And David was told it would not be him, but someone to come after him. And so he started to get a choir together. In 1 Chronicles 17, he's promised a son that will rule the world. In 1 Chronicles 25, he put together musicians to sing about that coming. What our result is, is this book of Psalms, which starts off with a man who is more blessed than you and I. A man who obeys the law perfectly. You read Psalm 1 and you say, I would like to be that man. And you read Psalm 1 and you're saying, I am not that man. And then you're introduced for the very beginning of the psalm to say, who is this man? Who could, who could obey God's law perfectly? Meditating on it day and night, perfectly bearing fruit, never being in the counsel of the wicked or the unrighteous. And then you go to Psalm 2 and realize that there is a king coming. And we're told in Psalm 2 that you must kiss the son lest you perish. He will crush you. This son, ask of me, God says to him, and I will make the nations your heritage. The ends of the earth will be your possession. You will own all peoples and all wealth and all power and all might and all dominion. It sounds very familiar to what they were just singing. In this new song, if it is a new song after all, here is the son of man. But it is a shadow. It is a foreshadow. A foreshadow. I don't want to brag, but I'm usually a lot smarter than most toddlers. Most. There's a few that I, you know, kind of keep my distance. But when I play hide and seek with my girls, I'm so good at it. I'm just so good. (laughs) You know, I really hate when pastors brag from the pulpit and talk about themselves so much, but... I'm really good at hide and seek. And the reality is, one of the reasons, as I know how shadows work, and fortunately, my daughters haven't figured that out yet. So late at night, we'll turn the lights fairly low, and I don't have to hide very hard, just around the next corner. And I know, and I know when they're coming, because the living room light casts a shadow, and I can be in the kitchen around the corner, and I see their little silhouette, bouncing back and forth, and it's longer, and it gets shorter, and I know they're getting closer. I can look at the shadow. I understand what's going on. I don't need to see them, but I know when they're nearby. And then I usually jump around a corner and scare them so bad. (laughs) So bad. They love it. We do it again. But the shadow helps with my timing. I know exactly when would be the most scary time to jump around the corner. See, God has hidden himself from us. That's obvious. But he has not. Right? He is, and it's not so much a game, but it is a little bit of an interchange that is playful. I mean, he could come right now, could he not? Who's stopping him? This is his intention. This finding and seeking and knocking, he wants that. And he's given us shadows, a whole book of them. Particularly a whole songbook of them. 
we sing about shadows. It, it, shadows can be literal like that, my daughter's silhouette on the kitchen floor. But here we're not given literal shadows. We're given literary shadows, warnings or indications of the future. Find that in children's story like Little Red Riding Hood. The mother says, now, Little Red Riding Hood, go to your grandmother's house. But before she leaves, the mom says, now don't stop along the way. Go straight to your grandmother's house. Don't talk to any strangers and look out for that wolf in the woods. You see how the story set itself up? It was foreshadowing what was to come down the story. Now we can do that. We can make stories that are beautiful. They foreshadow and they have cast different light and different expectations and they're interesting. But we can't do that with history. We can't foreshadow history being his story. What if this whole thing was one big book? What if this was a story he was writing? What if he knew his son was coming? What if he wrote a book to say, now look for him this way. Look for him there. Look for the piercings in Psalm 22. Look for the suffering servant in Isaiah. I will show you the shadows. Try to find him. And when he gets closer, when you see him approaching, the shadow becomes more distinct and defined. And you know he is there. You know when to turn and look. We are told that this king from 1 Chronicles 17, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He should come from David, the tribe of the king. That he will have a son. This king will have a throne. He will have dominion forever. And he says, I will be to him a father. And he will be to me a son. Now look for him. Find the shadows. The problem though with shadows is they are just shadows. They're not real. The problem of foreshadows is that they are but shadows. Psalm 40 says, Behold, I come, as in the scroll foretold. But this is just a hazy image, a murky image, a word picture. And here we find John weeping. And that's exactly why he's weeping. All the shadows, all the promises, all the prophecies... Who is worthy to bring them about? Who wants peace on earth? Who wants righteousness? Who wants joy and life everlasting? Are we just to speak about them forever but never have them? Who is worthy to open that scroll? And everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth was found unable to lift the scroll and to open it. And John wept. He cried. He knew that unless there was one to lift the scroll from the throne and the right hand of the one who sits upon it, this is all just shadows and stories, fables of Little Red Riding Hood. Who is worthy to bring them about? And he weeps. He weeps. 
the angel comes to him and he says this to John. Weep no more. Weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered. He has conquered. He has slayed the old serpent. He has stomped his head to the ground. And he is worthy. He is worthy of all worship. Weep no more. For that's what John was told. Stop crying. And as it would be, use this position as a metaphor. I hear can only see this way. But here John is invited to turn and look. He is told, maybe from behind him, the word goes out, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he turns and looks to see who that is. He doesn't see a lion at all. He sees a lamb who is slain, though standing. He finally turned to see the form of the foreshadow. He turned to look and see that this king was to rule the world. He was to be from the tribe of Judah. He was to crush their heads like pottery and make all the nations his dominion. He will have immense power. And then he turned and looked and saw a lamb. A lamb, bloodied as though he'd been slain, but still standing some way. How can a slain lamb stand? This is what he's seeing. This was the image of the foreshadow. And this lamb is very powerful. The lion of Psalm 2, who will make all peoples Kiss the sun lest they perish by the way. Who will dash them to pieces like pottery. Crush all the nations with a rod of iron. Is the lamb of Psalm 22. Who is pierced for our transgressions. And his hands and feet were there before the mockers. And his garments were taken off and he was humiliated naked. The lion and the lamb. This is our gospel. The lion and the lamb. We here now have to deal with the fact that this is not literal. It is not. Jesus is not a lion. He is a man. He is not a lamb. He is a man. But the symbols of it are that this is the mechanism, the manner in which he demonstrates himself to the world. Absolute power, but humble service and love. The most docile and foolish and weakest of all the animals to the most fierce and vicious and dominating of them all. Wrapped up into his humanity. The lion shadows as the lamb. The lamb shadows as the lion. It's a famous part you might see if you most likely in a crowd like this there's going to be somebody and many that are Star Wars buffs. Love Star Wars. Anakin, there's a famous scene in the movie. You have Anakin and the, and the, and the shadow hits him. And it's a small little boy like Anakin. But in the back you see the silhouette of Darth Vader. Right? 
It looks like a lamb. But the shadow of it is a lion. Or it looks like a lion, but he's as humble and loving as a lamb. This is the image that John has seen. And it is symbolic. The very beginning of the book of Revelation lays that clearly. Revelation 1, 1 starts off by saying, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to show his servants what must soon take place. Soon take place. So don't interpret Russia, you know, every, every year there's a war. This is the one. This is the, the beast. The verse goes on to say, he made it known by sending his angel as a servant to John. The word there in Revelation 1.1, he made it known, is semino. That's where we get the English word sign. The ESV translates it, made it known. He's saying that this book will make known the revelation of Jesus by way of sign, by way of symbol, symbology, image. This is interpreting the vision. So let's look at that. We understand the lion and the lamb. What is this scroll? What is the semino, the sign of the scroll? The scroll is in the hand of the ancient of days. It's impossible to understand Revelation unless you've read the Old Testament a hundred times. There is no There is no New Testament book in the Bible that has more Old Testament texts than Revelation. Many Christians start reading in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, finish with Revelation, and think they have it figured out. If you have not meditated through Chronicles and Leviticus and know exactly what all that means, you have no idea. You're not thinking of this book the way it is. This is what was given to him. If you read about this one sit on the throne and immediately cannot avoid but think of Daniel 7, then you don't understand. Daniel 7 is the ancient of days seated on a throne. One seated on the throne, we're told, in chapter 4. His appearance is of jasper and carnelian. He glows red, that is. He glows bright, hot red. And the rainbow, a rainbow is around his throne. Obviously, the symbol of the rainbow is God's peace and ability to bring redemption to the earth. And before him are seven torches of fire and seven spirits. In the holy place of the temple, there was a candle of how many lights? Seven. Before the holy of holies. And before him are four living creatures, we're told in chapter 4. One with the appearance of a lion and an ox and a man and an eagle. Representing Most likely to be interpreted, the four portions of creation. Four is a number of completeness in creation. North, south, east, west, four animals. It represents all of the created order in its variations and forms. But here, we're told in chapter 4, before this chapter we read, that these creatures are before the throne of the ancient of days. And this is what they say. This is what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, praising him for his power, his lionness. And he is the ancient of days of Daniel 7. For he follows up by saying, who was, who is, and who is to come? 
This is the eternal, ever, ever continuing, never ceasing praise of the ancient of days. The old one. The one who is of from before there was. He was, he is, and he is to come. His being has revealed to Moses is, I am. Who should I say you are? Moses asks, and he says, I am. I am past, I am present, I am future. My being is not contingent upon the burning of this bush. I am eternal fire and power. I am God Almighty. And this is what these creatures praise him with, never ending, ceasing. And the song doesn't get old. The tune doesn't become deaf. They say it over and over. Holy, holy, holy. There is none like you. There is none in your power. There is none in your transcendence. There is none who was before and is to come. You are the ancient of days. The one in all glory and power upon that throne. This is the song that they sing. All that to be said now to appreciate what we have. For here, we have a new song. It is called. It is here in these seals, this scroll that is locked and laden. It is heavy, it is weighed down. This scroll is locked with seven seals. And the lamb, that lamb is up for the task. A seven-sealed scroll. But here we're told the lamb has seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits. Seven is the number of fullness. Seven horns is the number of complete power. Horns a symbol of power. Seven eyes. That is complete vision. Full. Fullness of all wisdom. And here he has seven spirits. The fullness of the spirit of God is him, is with him. And so these seven seals stand no chance. He will crack these seals. He is the one with that kind of power. He is the one with that kind of wisdom to foresee the prophetic utterances of these psalms to their end. He has the eyes. And the spirit of prophecy is his spirit in fullness and sevens of sevens. And so he will open these seals. The sealing of a scroll is always understood to be the prophetic promises Hidden or closed for a time. Isaiah 29 11. Isaiah was given a prophetic vision, and God told him to take the words and seal them in a book so that when he gives it to a man and one says, Can you read this? the man will respond and say, No, I cannot, for it is sealed. It is the hiding of God's future plans, it is the hiding of God's future intentions. That's what seals are. Again, in Daniel 12, Daniel is given a vision at the end that is baffling to him. It is confusing. He doesn't know what it means. And so he goes to the Lord and says, Oh Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And God responds to Daniel and says, Go your way, Daniel. The words are shut up. They are sealed for the end. A sealing is a limitation of God's wisdom upon your life. These are sealed. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to crack them. No created being in all the realms of God's creation are able to open these seals. In the ancient world, legal documents were written on front and back. It was done in such a way to avoid plagiarism or falsification. Because the way a scroll could be folded, you could write something on the outside. So the document was fully filled, 
Same reason you kind of write a line through your check. So no one can get in there and add things to the document. So it's written on front and back in order to say, this cannot be altered, you cannot manipulate it, you cannot undo the scroll that God writes for this world. And it is sealed, as the legal document is binding. Those seals in the ancient world, if they were broken, the document was not made void. It was made void immediately. If a scroll had seals that were broken, it was nothing. And most wills and testaments, the will of someone's life was written. And it was sealed with seven seals in the ancient world. This imagery is intentional. That when the person died upon their death, this document would be actualized. And the seals would be broken and the will would be read. Does that make any sense to what might be going on here? Worthy are you who was slain. You have died. It's time to open these seals. The perfect righteous blood of man has been paid. God's will for man can be brought out now. No one in heaven or on earth can break those seals. And it's a heavy scroll. No one in heaven or on earth is under the earth is able. But here we're told in verse 7. When he took the scroll. He took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll. The four living creatures. The 24 elders. Those present with him in the throne room. Fell down. They fell down and worshipped. The weight, the ability to lift that scroll out of the ancient of days hands. Do you realize this? This is the scroll of God's prophetic, definitive plan and foreknowledge for the world. And no one has the ability to hold that kind of weight or wisdom or power. To come through and pick that scroll out of his hand. No one can do this. And this lamb, mind you, the lamb is the one who came up and grabbed it with all that power and wisdom to be able to say, I know what this is and it is mine. I have authority to take it from the ancient of days. And everything else in all creation fell under the glory of what that meant. Do you realize that the hands of the lamb, the hands of Jesus were pierced. His scars are for your guilt. His hands nailed to that cross for your sin. And yet his hands also have the power to hold your future. How amazing is this? That the one who gave his hands for your life on that cross also holds your future with perfect power and excellencies and all his wisdom and all your days, everything you have. It is all written out in not that book of life we are told. The book of life you prepared for me. The Psalms sing about it. David knows about it. Moses says, don't blot me out of your book of life. In Daniel 7, the books are open in the day of judgment. There are books to your life. There's a story that he has written of you, that you are performing. But don't you realize that the one who wrote that story, the same hand that wrote that story, was pierced for that story? Do not be worried about your life. Do not be worried about your future. He has sealed your salvation and he has cracked the seals of your future all with that same hand. Therefore be anxious about nothing. 
but by prayer and supplication, make all your requests known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will be yours. In Christ Jesus, the one who picks the scroll of your life. And so here, as he picks this up, the worship choir is assembled. And that means that things are going to get real. Real quick. When heaven grabs her harps, the world shudders. Each holding their harp and having golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, sing a new song, a song that's never been sung quite like this before. A new song before the ancient of days. How new can something be for an eternal being who is of ancient days, who has praise poured out before him upon his throne forever and ever, who was and is and is to come. And here in heaven, we have a new song. There is something different to say. There is something more that could be said that could never have been said before. They were just but shadows, but here it is now. No song could ever have been written this way. And they get out their harps to sing a new song before the Lamb. What is that new song? Worthy are you. Worthy are you to take the scroll. Worthy are you to open the seal. Why? For you were slain. And your blood was ransomed for people, for God, from every tribe and nation and tongue. And therefore we sing to the Lord on the Lord's day, for the lion and the lamb was slain. And by his slaughter, he has slain that dragon. They sing something that could never have been sung before. That a man, with the appearance of you and I, approached the ancient of days and held sovereign authority and power and dominion in his hands. And he receives, in matching with his sevenfold spirit, his sevenfold horns, his sevenfold seals, a sevenfold blessing. Do you realize the old song of the ancient of days didn't have this many blessings? There were three holies in that blessing holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But the Lamb. Worthy are you, all creation says this, to Jesus. This would have to be blasphemy for all of creation to sing to a lamb. Who is this lamb? Worthy to receive all power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The sevenfold singing of the new song to the new Jerusalem, which is the new covenant, which is the new heavens and a new earth and a new bodily creation, resurrected man, Jesus, beginning it all with this song. And the fullness, this, the fullness of all blessing to God. Sevenfold blessing and all power and wealth and wealth, like the real wealth of the world, the gold. God, Jesus will come down and take the gold of this earth. It is a, this is not just for the heavens. What praises start in the heavens come down to the earth. These seals were cracked open and four horsemen came out. One was red with blood and he sucked peace from the earth, just like what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. When the saints sing. The world quakes. And the end of this song 
is particularly saying that those who were purchased will inherit the earth. Your spiritual praises are an inheritance to this real world now. Therefore, redeem the time. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs because there is nothing more valuable you could do because this, regardless of what you think, is the way the world is going. So let us sing and remember this table that's been given to us. Dear Father, Lord, we lift up our voice to you. And Lord, we prepare now to come before you to realize that you are the Lamb who was slain. And you have given us your body and your blood. And Lord, in addition to all this, as if there was not enough, you have given us one another. That we take this together as a church. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together and uniting us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.